Welcome to the podcast. I am Kyle Fincham. This is Behind the Movement. Uh, I appreciate you downloading or listening. Um, I've got a really excellent conversation to share today that I had with John Ewan. Um, before I get to it, though, as always, I've got some announcements. These are much different than my normal announcements. Everything that I normally announce has to do with things that are happening online, special online workshops, Movement Brooklyn online. Um, this is uh, some some face-to-face stuff. We're going to do um, some events, some, some short workshops, these two-hour workshops, maybe longer if we're having a good time. Um, Alexa and I are getting on a flight tomorrow. We're headed to New York. Um, going to be there for almost two weeks, and, and while we're out there, I'm going to facilitate some uh, infinite play events. Um, the first one is going to be in Brooklyn, our old stomping ground, um, in Greenpoint. It's on Sunday the 11th at 10 a.m., it's in McGloric Park, and there are only about five tickets left for this. So if you're interested, you should uh, jump on and sign up. I did see that the weather's supposed to be a little bit rainy. The good news is, uh, I don't care, rain or shine. I was actually thinking about it today. That you know, when I first imagined the event, that I imagined this like beautiful spring, sunny day, and then I was like, oh, you know, if it rains, then people are going to cancel. But then I thought to myself, if it rains, gosh, it's going to be this like amazing, like epic, like kind of cinematic, like battle scene out there. All of us out there like playing and jumping around in the rain and the mud. So I don't know, something hit me and I was like, gosh, I, I kind of hope it rains maybe. Um, so yeah, like I said, that's in Brooklyn. That's on Sunday. Um, there are about five tickets left. You can sign up for that at movementbrooklyn.com. <clears throat> the following weekend, I'm doing two more events. One of them is in Croton-on-Hudson, which is uh, about an hour, an hour and a half north of New York City. Um, this is really great. Um, it's being put on by the local pharmacy that's been playing a pretty huge role in, in distributing vaccines to the local community there. And they want to, to, to do an event for for the people of the town but i think it's open to everybody so if you feel like uh, you want to be there and you're you're not too far away you can send an email to save more drugs at gmail.com and you can get some more details and, and find out about participating in this event like i said they're putting it on um this is not one that you can buy tickets for um this is uh uh yeah just kind of their gift to the community but um my understanding is that it's open to everybody. So you should send an email. That's on Saturday the 17th at 10 a.m. <clears throat> and then the following day on the 18th, we're going to do um, an infinite play event uh, in partnership with Locomotion New York. Um, my friend Kevin Neglia, who's the owner, I had him on the podcast a while back. Um, that is his spot. We chatted a little bit, and um, we decided to, to team up and, and do uh, an infinite play event 
out there in Long Island. That's going to be a, a, another fun outdoor event. All the events are outdoors, uh, but that's going to be a really fun one. Um, I'm excited to like play and work with his his group and his community, but it's also open to anyone else that wants to sign up. If you're interested in that one, you can sign up through our website, movementbrooklyn.com, or you can go to locomotionnewyork.com. I think that that's the website. Let me double check real quick, but I think it's Locomotion New York. Um, yeah, you can sign up there. That's on Sunday the 18th at 10 a.m. It's in Long Island. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, it's locomotionnewyork.com. And you can just um, purchase a ticket to that event through there. Then a little further out um, in May, Sunday, May 9th, we're going to do an event in Seattle. Um, so we're going to do Infinite Play um, in Gilman Park or Gilman Playground. Um, I haven't been to Seattle, but Alexa and I are headed that direction for a couple a couple reasons. So we decided we should uh, do an event there as well. And I know some people who uh, I'm excited to connect with in and around that. Um, but yeah, that's May 9th. That's at 10 a.m. Um, I think it's going to be super fun. Uh, again, I know Seattle's a rainy place, and everybody's like, "Gosh, if it rains, we gotta like cancel events." But I just think I don't know. I have this vision today. Now I'm like hoping it rains in these places so that it's real rock and roll. Um, so yeah, that is uh, May 9th, 10 a.m. You can sign up through MovementBrooklyn.com. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be out there, seeing faces again, being with people again. Um, doing all the things and, and doing it in person in, in some degree. So uh, if you're listening, if you're in some of these areas or if you feel like packing up and, and, and driving there, I would love to see you. I'm super excited about it. Cool. As always, if you're into what we're doing, you can join the Movement Brooklyn online community through movementbrooklyn.com or members.movementbrooklyn.com. If you enjoy the podcast, Give us a rating and review. People say that that goes a long way in, in doing something for us. <laughs> so let's get to uh, the podcast. Um, I got to speak with John Yuen recently. Um, such a, uh, an awesome person to connect with. He's got a background in dance, a background in martial arts. Um, we talk a lot about you know, his childhood and, and being surrounded by by music and, you know, a lot of people who I cross paths with mention his name and, and have said all the best things about him. So uh, I was excited to, to connect with him and I was really happy that he accepted the invitation to be on the podcast. Um, yeah, let's not waste any time. Let's get to it. This is a, a really wonderful conversation that I got to share with John Yuen. Tell me, are you, you're in Norway? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that where you're from? Yeah. Born and raised land of wow. the free, home of the moose. Uh, yeah. What about yourself? Uh, where in the U S are you and where in the U S are you from? Okay. <laughs> from so, the US. so I lived in New York for 15 years. 
and mm-hmm. we had a, a like a movement school in Brooklyn and we had to close because of COVID and then we permanently closed the space because we didn't know when we'd be able to open again. Um, so then we ended up at my wife's folks house, which is in like an hour north of New York City. And then mm-hmm. I got offered an opportunity here in Boulder, Colorado. So I flew out here to do that for a few months. And that's where I've been for the last seven months, but I think we're, we're headed in some other directions potentially after this. We're kind of, you know, I don't know, movement refugees at the moment, I would say. <laughs> yeah. The true mobility. Yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, I'm jealous though. I, I mean, I, I'm so fond of all the things I hear about Norway. I feel like every great story comes out of Norway. It's, um, I think the last one I saw was like a real sports segment talking about how when like youth sports, there's like no specialization until like age 12 or 13. They try not to uh, encourage it before that time. Yeah. I mean, people are of course allowed to pursue whatever they want to. And some people start off really young, but yeah, it's like uh, physical education wise, you know, you don't have things like scholarships or anything like that because there's no need because of the, you know, education is free. So people kind of just pursue whatever they want to pursue. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm envious, I think is the best word. It's, it, it's, it sounds so magical. When you're in the United States, it just seems like it feels like a myth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, not going to lie. It's, it's, a. Uh, it's a healthy place to be, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, yeah. Whether or not it's magical or fairy-like or fantastical, I guess that's up to the individual. But in terms of the the security and the freedom that you have, and just the social the social norms, um, it's healthy. I would say, mm-hmm. very healthy. Yeah. Well, I feel like uh, everybody in Norway, you know that I see is always looks younger than they are. And they're always smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know why Um, the gods have blessed us uh, (laughs) due to too many blood sacrifices through the ages. Yeah. I mean, really, we should thank our ancestors for pillaging and raping their way through Europe. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... (laughs) That's why we're here. Right. This always seems like the story, like when you date back far enough, that's always like where it gets to eventually. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I got some, so a few people have mentioned you over the course of like, kind of like between podcast people I've talked to through the podcast and it's always the best things. People are always, you know, someone mentioned you when I was kind of critical of very dogmatic approaches in, in movement and a couple of names came up and someone mentioned you and just said, yeah, John is just, you know, so compassionate and open to so many different ideas. And then I was speaking to someone recently and they were talking about your spine program. Um, so yeah, all the, all, all the best things. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, like, I don't know what were kind of like, kind of the peaks. I've noticed that you spent some time dancing as a professional dancer and also a background in martial arts. Um, so yeah, and I know both of those places can be very like dogmatic realms. Hmm. So I'm curious, like, was that your experience and you were like, I need to rebel against this? Or was it a little bit of like, um, you were in spaces where, where there was more of like an openness? 
Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I, th I think I, the, the, the environments and the cultures that I've had the opportunity to kind of train in and interact with people in have been fairly open-minded. Um, but I, have, I haven't felt the need to fight for change in the mar world of martial arts or in the world of dance, because I feel like they're, they understand that, at least with the places where I've been, they understand that it's not all competition, it's about creativity and it's about expression, you know? Like they're not necessarily bashing on other people they disagree with, they promote the things that they love. And they're also open to the idea of creating more things that you can love or fall in love with. So for me, I, I haven't felt the need to um, try to counteract dogma before I really started in the world of fitness, which is, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to work in fitness because, you know, it, it is pretty dogmatic. Um, but I have to give credit where it's due, like my, my father and my mother, my mother was a, a musician and my father dropped out of school when he was six and comes from China and has made a living out of doing basically everything he can to survive. And my mother allowed me to try out as many different arts as I wanted to. And my father always told me, you don't have to be the best at anything. You can just choose to be better. And that basically just, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. It, it helped me kind of, um, encourage me to have the kind of perspective where you look at the world around you as a smorgasbord, a buffet. You just choose and pick whatever you think is going to be useful, whatever you think is interesting, and whatever you want to gain experiences from, whether good or bad. And then based off of that, you, you try to learn, um, and you try to have fun, and you try to form connections. I, I love that. I'm, I, I find it to be such a... Uh, a unique experience. I feel like I haven't crossed paths with many people who come from a background where uh, a parent is an artist. And I, I imagine that really frames things in a different way. Um, I'm curious, like what, what, what instrument did she play? And did, did you explore music as well? Yeah, um, my mom played the piano she she was uh she had stage fright so she didn't really play professionally but she she was an extremely good musician and she let me play uh the violin the guitar piano flute uh, whatever i wanted to try to try out and also tried out several instruments when i lived in china and yeah, I mean, the, the thing about the thing about art and culture is that, you know, you don't think about good or bad or right or wrong, wrong or black and white in terms of the quality of things. You think about qualities as in what sort of type of quality does this song have? What type of quality does this way of playing uh, this instrument have? You know, it's 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 just flavors. And some flavors might not attract you, but that doesn't mean that they're bad. Um, 
but yeah, um, she really, I mean, our, our house was always full of music. All of my siblings played instruments and we were all into different types of arts. And uh, I had the pleasure of being inspired by my older siblings, uh, the way the music they liked and the way they liked to play and the way they liked to practice. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I feel pretty lucky to have been exposed to that from, from an early age. For yeah. So then I have to imagine then it's almost, um, you know, to have that exposure and, and, and to exist in that space of like non-judgment. And then, as you said, kind of walk into like the, the, the fitness space specifically, and there really be, you know, a lot of definitions. Yeah. How, how did you kind of navigate that? And how did you, I don't know, maybe facilitate non-judgment with people when you entered that space? Not sure. I, I think I think I got caught up in the uh, the dogma as much as the other person at some point, you know, mm. when somebody tells you that there's a deep truth or a, or a secret to something that is as infinitely complex as the human body, of course, you're going to be tempted, you're going to like be like, yeah, holy shit, tell me, tell me, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, a, it's, 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 it's alluring. You're like, Oh, the Holy Grail, you have it. Tell me. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, once you start working in the fitness space, or you become interested in fitness, you feel as if you're, you're walking against uh, amongst Titans who are holding like these Dead Sea Scrolls, where all the secrets of fitness are written down. Um, so I mean, I, I was like that in the in the beginning. Um, but I feel I feel as if I think there was one point where I, I mean, it just didn't make sense anymore, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, why are we using these terms? Why are we using exactly these type of exercises? Why does everything health related have to be beholden to the culture of the gym? That to, to me doesn't make sense. Like, gym culture is a culture as much as any other culture, it has its own language, like, hypertrophy and circumduction and sternocleidomastoideus and intercostals. It has like a culture, it has fashion, you know, like, especially in the gyms here in Norway, everyone dresses as if they're extras in a Marvel movie with all their compression tights and shit. <laughs> uh, it has its own religion, you know, the, the, the salvation of finally reaching your goal or finally running that 4K or or four, four minute okay or um, two times your body weight squat all of these weird standards um yeah and it just didn't make sense anymore and i felt as if i mean getting to work on your health deserves to be a creative endeavor you know because i mean what you're ultimately doing is you're creating you're creating a process that allows you to be healthy and hopefully happy as you're pursuing that you know um and yeah i was just surprised about the lack of lack of variety i guess yeah i find it's like almost like um you know when it comes to fitness oftentimes it's like it's almost like mcdonald's you know like i always say their first mcdonald's was was like a was very artisan you know it was like yeah. one guy and it was probably the best burger you've ever had in your life and then as things scale and they systematize they have to create the language and the systems that like 
make it simpler and simpler and simpler so that you can open more and more stores. And I feel sometimes when I look at what has happened in, in specifically, as you were saying, like gym culture, there's that kind of thing. Well, it's like, well, how do we like narrow this down and define it so that we can pass the book along quicker and, and get more of these? It's, and as you said, it's, it's, it's religious in that way. I would even mm. say go so far as it's religious in the sense that it gives like the illusion of control, right? It's yeah. like, let me, let me give you an answer to this mm -hmm. complex, unanswerable thing. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I, uh, I totally agree. I think, I think, um, we, we assume that the gym holds all the answers, you know, we, we assume that all the exercises that exist therein are all the ones that are needed or all the, 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 the mindsets or all the goals. And I, I guess it's, pretty cool that we're trying to make it more accessible to other people and the gym is a way of doing that and the gym culture is a way of doing that but once something becomes such a natural part of the urban landscape as the gym you need to be wary of it and you need to try to look at it from an objective point of view because something that is natural in an unnatural landscape is probably probably <laughs> yeah it's probably worth investigating Mm -hmm. So then what was, so you, you kind of have these thoughts about like being a part of gym culture in that way. Mm -hmm. What is that? What does that kind of then lead you to after a little bit of like, uh, I don't know, speculation? Um, I think, I mean, we, we, we just want to encourage people to get out of the gym, you know? Uh, it's okay for them to to be there, mm -hmm. but it's okay for them to be other places as well. It's okay for them to go take dance classes if that's what they really want to. If they want to mm -hmm. go take a tumbling class or a juggling session or go out horseback riding or anything like that. Um, I think, you know, to, to use your example of the McDonald's, um, and the gym being, being kind of similar. It is in the sense that it, it allows you to feel a sort of, um, it's that instant gratification, that immediate taste, that immediate recognition of, oh shit, I'm eating McDonald's. I'm, uh, my body likes this. I have a lot of fond memories of this. This, this feels safe. This feels easy. To, this feels accessible and fast. The same thing happens in the gym in a lot of ways, I think. You know, like, hey, you got your PR, hey, you got your PB, hey, you got uh, somebody else was able to identify that the way you executed that exercise was done in a manner that our culture and our society accepts, you know? Um, and and this, this temptation, this gratification of being in the gym and feeling like you're accepted also keeps a lot of people inside of it, you know? They have a hard time recognizing their own physical capabilities outside of the gym because the gym always gives them this feedback of you did well you did well you did well here's the path you did well oh you're outside of the path now you suck okay you're back in the path good you did well you did well yeah it also um i found as i like reflect back on like i think i had a similar experience of like kind of like entering into like gym culture and was kind of like how the pieces started to move mm. and kind of reflecting on that from where I sit now and the things that I thought about and realized that it, 
despite it being this thing where we're asking a lot of ourselves physically, I found that it limited what it asked of me from a sensory experience. Hmm. And we have like this, uh, I don't know, this amazing nervous system that's like, has so much potential. And it's almost as if like over time we continue to like not feed that like sensory potential. And so much is just kind of what we're doing now where it's just like, it's just our eyes doing things. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. And, and I think things like martial arts and things like dance, um, I don't know, they stimulate us in that way from just a sensory level that we don't get in a lot of other places. Hmm. I mean, I guess one of the hallmarks of a gym is that conditions are perfect. You know, mm -hmm. the floor is even and grippy and there's air conditioning and there's knurling on the bars and uh, everything is clean and everything is is easy to measure. And I guess that's pretty cool in, uh, at times, but if conditions are perfect all the time, then you're, well, first and foremost, you're probably going to end up doing the same thing that you've always done because uh, nothing is encouraging you to do something else. Well, that's pretty harsh. Of course, people have autonomy. If they choose to do something else, that's great. I'm not saying that people are lab rats. <laughs> but I guess it's going to be more difficult to do new things when conditions are perfect. And, um, and I also think that we end up feeling so safe in the immediate environment that we don't have to be all that mindful with what we're doing, mm. um, which is like what's so cool about dance and martial arts is that it's new inputs and new outputs. Um, and there is, there is a need for you to be very present in what you're doing. Mm. How did you end up in this I don't know if I should call it a culture or whatever. Like, how did you end up in becoming interested in movement? Um, well, I was living in New York and I was there for 15 years. I moved there because I was studying theater in Los Angeles at UCLA. And I dropped out to pursue stand-up comedy, which I did for almost a decade. And that was like my life. Um, but as things go when you're like an artist in a big city like sometimes the money's good and sometimes the money's not good so you have supplemental work so I did a lot of things I was like a day laborer I was a dog walker but the last job I had I was like I snuck into teaching group fitness classes kind of um yeah and I just found it really I don't know creatively satisfying um because it was like I don't know, community creativity. It was like there was something happening really nice on both ends. And I don't think I was really satisfied with what I was doing on a, on a creative level in standup anymore um, for various reasons. So I don't know. I just kind of followed that path. And uh, I don't know. I was somebody who always just like, I, I never was satisfied with the status quo. So despite having a lot of success in the gym, I was like, I don't know. There's, a, there's more things happening. I should go get my hands on some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I crossed paths with somebody who had just started a movement practice and was studying with Ido Portal at the time. And I kind of hopped on his coattails and like rode that off. And that was um, about eight or nine years ago now. Oh, cool. 
must be a really interesting lens through which you look at like group classes or, or training people, you know, having a stand up comedian's perspective. I can only imagine because I haven't done it, but, but I mean, you are, I would imagine that you're constantly kind of reading the mm -hmm. audience and there's a timing thing there and there's this constant anticipation of their reactions to what you're doing. Um, uh, yeah. Um, there's <laughs> definitely like, there's a brain to be in when you're teaching. <laughs> there definitely is like a sense of like reading the room mm. that I, I know I have, but can't describe. Mm -hmm. And for instance, like if my wife is there and I'm, I'm facilitating something and to her, it could go well. And I could in my brain say, oh, there was a moment where like thing, the stars didn't quite align <laughs> and she can't, she can't see it the same way that I'm like, oh, like I can, I can feel that thing. Like when you have a, an audience that like unifies yeah, and it happens and there's that magic. Um, and I also, I, from standup, there's this interesting thing. And so I've been doing like an online continuing education with Tom Wexler. Mm -hmm. So I've submitted some videos and, and dance is not my background, but there's a, a lot more of these kind of playful dance explorations. And he pointed out, he was like, oh, you know, notice like your rhythm and your flow. And maybe just think about where, where that comes from, because he's like, I see it, but I don't know if it's something you've thought about. Perhaps the rhythm has to do with like your comedy background and the flow is maybe something else. Mm -hmm. And then it was so funny. So then I watched myself and I saw the rhythm as well. There was this funny, like innate rhythm in how I, how I was moving and like mm -hmm. my timing that when I reflect on doing standup, it was, it's a very similar, a very similar rhythm. It's very, mm -hmm. it's a very funny thing to observe. So it's, I, I assume something like that might exist with a lot of artists, whether it's in music or comedy or something where it's like, if they have kind of a, a style they've developed, there's like a rhythm that starts to sink in and it probably transcends into other things that they do. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what's so cool about movement though, isn't it? Like if you when you watch somebody move, like from, from a more fitnessy perspective, you know, you watch somebody move and you, you feel like you are observing their physical capacity and the, the capacity of their various body parts and whatnot. But what you're really seeing is a person's entire life story expressed in one little movement mm -hmm. uh, or expressed through a, or through a longer period of time, like a flow or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, then it's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what really fascinates me personally with movement. That's when it becomes like an more of a creative, more of an artful kind of endeavor. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, th cool. I think about it when I watch people play, mm -hmm. that that is a very like revealing time. Because oftentimes too, like if, if the play becomes really rich, like the, the ego kind of steps aside and just maybe becomes like a, a nice observer. Yeah. And, and that innate intelligence starts to shine through and it's very revealing. It's like, you can see, I don't know, sometimes you can tell the card, you could guess the cartoons that people might have watched as a kid. You can sense kind of like the physical experiences they come from, whether it's martial arts or something. But there's a lot of information that starts to happen in those moments where like, I don't know, the, the identity is, is, is a little blurred. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah.
<laughs> Good point. Um, so, so do you, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, ask you like, um, you, uh, I mean, now that you've been working as a stand-up comedian and then you've kind of done more like fitness style group classes and then you moved on to movement, um, do you find yourself missing being on stage anymore or? Only recently and mm. part of it might be COVID, but part of it is kind of a little more of like kind of stepping outside of like movement systems and being in a place where like the movement is a little more playful. Mm -hmm. It's like reminding me of all the things that like made me really love stand up before I did stand up. Like the, like the comedians that I really loved. I'm, I, I don't know. How old are you? I'm 30. Oh, shit. Uh, 33. <laughs> okay. I'm 36. So like when I was a kid, like 10 years old, Jim Carrey was like the greatest thing to ever walk mm. the planet, you know? Mm. And I also loved pro wrestling as a kid because it was like the time when there was like the rock and everything. And it was just like, and these things were like real driving forces in the, like the way that I perceived performing and being on stage. Mm -hmm. And it's only now that like things aren't so like regimented and like the way that I approach movement is a, is much more playful that like those things seem to be like shining through in a way that I'm like, Oh, that's why I loved that thing. Or that's why I wanted to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a little bit of like the hunger to kind of like go back in that direction. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you do any live performing when you were dancing? Yeah, I, I did shows for about uh, five years or so. Okay. Yeah. What, and what was that experience like in terms of being a performer? Was that something, cause I've talked to people on here who dance and they've said that they never really loved the live performing piece that like they loved the, the creating but like doing the performance wasn't for them. And then some people are like, oh, they like hungered to be in front of the audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, to tell you the truth, I'm not entirely sure. Like um, I remember the first couple of times I was on stage and it was magical. It was nerve wrecking and gut punching, but it was also, there was something, there was something really beautiful and really interesting about it. And especially being on stage with other people, you know, creating i mean a production consisting of several people can only take place if all those people are collaborating in some sort of way and that's that's really magical that i really like but um but i got to the i got to a point where i had such stage fright like i couldn't be on stage without having to run backstage and just vomit in a corner by myself uh, and when I was on stage, like I had tunnel vision, I, I like the last year of performing, I hardly remember any performances I did because I went on autopilot because I was so scared to be on stage. Um, so it's a bit difficult to say whether or not I liked it or disliked it uh, inherently, but due to my stage fright, I had a hard time enjoying it. Um, I did like the... Uh, the I do know that I like the creative aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I liked 
the practicing part of it. I love practicing. Um, even if it's for no goal, you know, just trying to tackle something, whether it be dance or something else, and figuring out to get better at it. Um, so yeah, that, there's my vague, <laughs> nebulous answer. I, I, I understand. It makes me think that like dancers should go do some stand-up comedy and some comedians should go spend some time dancing. I feel like it would be a, a nice like, uh, um, I don't know, education for both sides. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think that there is, there's something there. Marlo and I kind of alluded to that at one point. Marlo Fiskin, you know, mm -hmm. we should like facilitate some sort of like movement comedy event workshop or something. Yeah, yeah. Bring, mash up the worlds a little bit. I think that's a good idea. I mean, learn how to learn how to tell stories, learn how to not take yourself seriously, mm -hmm. learn how to play pretend, uh, even if it's for something that isn't necessarily funny or isn't necessarily beautiful. I think that's really important. I think because I think a lot of that's what a lot of us are really are doing, mm -hmm. you know, working towards these goals, whether it be performance based goals or um aesthetic based goals it's all we're all just playing pretend mm -hmm. i mean that's why so many of us are referring to our workouts as wars and battles <laughs> we have to fight by ourselves and then we baptize ourselves iron side afterwards because we feel undefeatable i mean it, it's okay to it's okay to actually play pretend it's okay to actually play and you know allow your fantasy and your creativity to take a big part of what you're doing. Well, and that's, and that's how we're kind of built to learn, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, knowledge is cool and it helps us have these conversations mm -hmm. and do this thing, but we learn not necessarily by this happening, but by going out and playing and, and letting our, letting our, our true self do some tinkering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's how kids learn to walk and talk and everything. So it's like, you know, play is that way to like facilitate that kind of education. Yeah. Skin in the game. Yeah. Get yeah. out there and, and get some cuts and bruises and uh, <laughs> rip some pants. So do you use that in your practice or when you teach? Do you, do you do, do you use imagination? Do you, do you play with some of those tools? I, I try to. I try to be pretty careful of, with it um, because it can be a very scary thing. Uh, I mean, it's still scary to me. Um, so I can just imagine how it is for someone who hasn't done it before. But using prompts and ideas and, and broad and general cues is something that I'm very fond of. And inviting people to, to interpret uh, prompts and cues in, in their own unique way. That's something that I really enjoy. Um, I think a lot of our instructions are a bit too specific sometimes. And the coolest thing is when play happen, happens by itself and when exploration starts happening by itself. And so that's what I try to do. I try not to like explicitly say, 
now we're going to play or now we're going to play pretend or now we're going to do this or now we're going to research or now we're going to explore sometimes i do but most of the time i just try to make sure that the words that i use are are broad enough and i think captivating enough i don't know if they think it so that they get uh they get the idea of playing and they get the idea of exploring when I spoke to Shira Yaziv, mm. she talked about this idea of like, not necessarily teaching, but giving people the opportunity to learn. Mm. And that each person has something different that they're going to learn in each moment. Yeah. And kind of just creating that an environment for each person to learn the thing that that they need in that moment. Um, mm. Do you feel like that's kind of something that you're you're doing or thinking about as well yeah i mean I, I get there's a delicate balance between teaching and then allowing somebody to learn uh you know some some lessons cannot be taught by others regardless of how good the coach is they need to be learned by the individual by being in the right kind of situation um now of course if you if you give all the responsibility to the students all the time then i think you you might be losing a bit of balance. And sometimes there needs to be clear instructions. So try to balance both. I think they're both equally important. Um, like one of the ways that I work with it is through this online coaching course community thing that I do called the Movement Guild. And in the Movement Guild, we, we start with structure and then we gradually take structure away. Um, so there are four phases, and in each phase, we address like a basic principle. Like phase one, we address volume. So how much are you going to do? Um, now, they get programs. In the programs, we have selected a selection of exercises that they can do. But seeing as we're uh, tackling volume that phase, we tell them, in this program, you're going to decide the volume. And the next phase, we deal with autoregulation and then we do autoregulated exercise selection. So then they have to choose the exercise they want to do on every single or every, any given day. And then we go on to prioritization and skill acquisition and then we go over to movement quality and uh, creativity. So we gradually pick a, take away structure, but we only take away structure when we feel like they're, they're, they've been given the opportunity to learn about that particular piece of the puzzle. Um, and then we gradually give them more and more freedom. We kind of open up the framework. And as that gradually happens, then we can see that people are starting to teach themselves mm. the lessons they need to learn. That is really fascinating because I feel, so I, I owned a gym and I, and I went after I closed it and kind of reflecting on it, I realized I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been doing this thing where I'm, I'm helping, I'm catching fish for people as opposed to teaching them how to fish. And what you just, just described to me was a really fascinating approach to facilitating the learning to fish. Because mm -hmm. um, every step along the way, they're kind of playing a role in, in developing their practice, even from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's, it's like anything else. If you give people too much freedom, 
creativity, expression is a huge responsibility. I'm not talking about like a social responsibility, but a responsibility in, in the amount of choices that you need to, to make. So you don't want to do that immediately. You need to give a clearly defined set of rules and guidelines. So just so they get momentum and they start going in one direction. Now, the problem is when you say that this direction is the only path you can travel down. Hopefully, hopefully though, as they continue moving down this path, they'll see that it widens and widens and widens and widens until the path becomes the horizon. Mm -hmm. And then they get to decide where to go. Um, I think it's easy for us to either fall in love with the idea of like everything has to be structured or the idea of everything has to be free and playful and expressive. Like they're both good and they're both ne necessary. We just need to understand when they're necessary for the individual. And the only way we get to figure that out is to, you know, communicate with them. Where, where is this? It sounds to me like there's just been a lot of thought put into this education system. And is that like reflective of an education that you were brought up through or research that you've done? Um, I'm curious how you kind of zeroed in on, on this approach. Um, I'm sure that in retrospect, and now that I'm looking in retrospect, I'm able to figure out some obscure reason as to why <laughs> it got, got to be. But it, um, to tell you the truth, like it just felt, felt like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. The first idea was I want to address basics and I want to, I want, my vision is to prove how broad and all encompassing and infinitely complex yet elegant and simple the basics can be. And that basics are universally applicable. Um, and then I wanted to just start off with basics that people are somewhat familiar with and then recontextualize it. And then by way of recontextualization, open them to the idea of opening up for more ideas of what basics are. Um, how it relates to like my background and my, I don't know, my, my childhood and my history, I, I think I'd be constructing a lot of <laughs> weird memories that yeah. may or may not be real if I, I try to justify those choices. But um, one thing that does come to mind is that my my father told who's my father is Chinese, like he he said, doesn't matter what you do. I don't care what you study. I have, I don't even care if you study like the only, the most important thing is that you find a process that allows you to improve and go in the direction you want to go. And not a very traditional Chinese thing to say, but I appreciate it because it kind of just allowed me to just explore things and then just gradually learn how I learn. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I find it really really interesting so it's it, it, it feels like it's it's a, it, the it's a product of trial and error and just kind of what feels natural but i think that there's like there's kind of a beauty to this system or this way of educating because you know 
it's a, like maybe the Western mind, or at least in the, in the United States, it's, it is very structured and everything is very linear. So it's almost like in the beginning, it's like kind of feeding that linear desire or mm. that, that structured desire mm. and then slowly kind of like pulling it away. <clears throat> yeah. Um, because the people, as you said, are almost not ready to go the, to that bigger space, but it's also just like, I think it's a lot of like the, yeah, like the Western mind from my understanding is a little bit more of this, like things are in order, things are defined. So it's mm -hmm. like, well, let's start there. And then, and then I'll, we'll, yeah. we'll strip it away a little bit and then I'll challenge it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, <laughs> I think it's important for us to recognize that anything that is a desire is often there because it's a necessity to a certain extent. So the, the, the desire for, you know, instant gratification, the desire for dopamine, the desire for linear progression, the desire for one single truth, it is there because it is to some extent a need in all of us. Now, we as teachers just need to figure out when we, that's, you know, that is the mouth that we need to feed. And sometimes it is necessary. Um, and sometimes it is not. You just have to kind of talk to your students and um, figure out where they're where they are. Because um, I mean, you know, the hardest problem with being a teacher is that we're dealing with as much uncertainty as the student because we're trying to figure out what is the best way of teaching a person. Mm. Well, there is no best way. We know this, all of us. We're we're, <laughs> we're not children anymore, you know? We know that there are many ways of being healthy and there are many ways to learn. And we need to just know when to apply which truth in which circumstance. Right, it's all, it's all predictions. Yeah. We're just trying to get better at making predictions. Exactly, yeah, very true, very true. So what are, in, in, in this approach, you, you referenced the basics a few times. What are some of the, the, the qualities of the basics? Well, one of them would be that you can apply them in almost any circumstance. So like to me, a push-up is not a basic. I, I, don't, I don't think of any techniques as being basic techniques, uh, unless of course it is in, in a very particular type of context, like a demi-plie can be a basic in a classical ballet and a, a jab can be a basic in boxing. Um, but my idea of the basic is that these are things that you can apply in any type of situation. And oftentimes they will be more about mindset and long-term planning and long-term thinking, uh, and also very, very short-term planning and thinking. So like volume is a basic because it's not about what you do. It's about how much you do. And that applies to anything, the poisons and the dosage and the and the uh, and the sweetness of it is in in the dosage as well. Another basic is autoregulation, like learning how to listen to your body without becoming a slave to it. Um, skill acquisition, learning how to learn, is a basic. Learning how to prioritize so that you don't get lost in the the swamp and the jungle of choices that are out there. And also, creativity is a basic, in my opinion. Mm because you can, you can do it regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. And, and creativity is, is, is how we navigate through everything. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is, you know, that is ultimately problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, creativity is such a, such a daunting word, but what it really means is just coming up with shit, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and hopefully coming up with shit that you steal or borrow or and I get inspiration from somebody else and then make it your own so that it becomes a part of you so that you kind of, you own it and you take ownership over it and then you share it. Hopefully mm-hmm. you don't have to, but if you share it, it's really, really cool. Yeah. What, so what, what are some of your approaches then to creativity and, and especially like on, on the basic level or getting someone going with that space? Mm. So it, when it comes to creativity, again, we go back to structure. So mm-hmm. we, we don't say like, hey, paint whatever you want to, uh, move however, however you want to. We give them a, a framework, a guidelines, a task. Now the task could be, as an example, I want you to place uh, both feet on the ground and then I want to get you to get your hips as close to the ground as possible and then as far away from the ground as possible without moving the feet. Now that you could describe that as a squat, but then you've given it a technique, you've given it a name, and you've given the students um, an expectation. Right, something, something, it, no, something, something they can end up placing judgment on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they, they will feel afraid that other people are passing judgment on to them. But if you say it like that, all of a sudden, they come up with the craziest, coolest shit. Just by saying that, and then you can then you can say, okay, this time we're gonna we're gonna do the same task, both feet on the floor, get your hips as close to the ground as possible, then far away from the ground as possible. But this time, one feet, one foot can move. What happens now? Okay, now we're gonna try to actually put on a song. We're gonna listen to "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." Cool. Now it looks like this. Okay, let's do it one more time. But now let's listen to I don't know Enya or something. What happens now? Oh, we just changed the conditions, the inner conditions by changing the outer conditions. Um, and then we just kind of allow it to grow naturally by, by stretching the boundaries of the framework in some sort of direction. And the cool thing with creativity is that you can, you can stretch those boundaries in all kinds of directions, either by using a different word, by focusing on timing, tension, posture, uh, speed, song, mood, um sky's the limit really that's the thing about creativity like it's very hard to define because it can be absolutely everything but the way you explore everything is by starting really really small and then Mm -hmm. just gradually growing it in some kind of direction right you start with um certain constraints like the constraints are the game yeah yeah like the saying goes you know the the nemesis of creativity is the absence of limitations Mm-hmm. I read uh, recently Questlove's book on creativity. I don't know if you've read it. I have not yet. Oh, it's it's worth reading. It's fantastic. But there's a lot of stuff that you were just saying that he mentioned in there that I thought were really fantastic. He talks about that idea of 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 stealing in some ways, but he talk he uses the um, the analogy of being uh, a museum curator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and you have your warehouse of all this art and it's like okay well now curate your museum 
mm-hmm. and decide how high you want, what you want lit more than others. Do you want that like in like a special room? Do you want this right out here at the front at the entrance? And I don't know, I think it really captured um, that essence of like our influence from other places in a really beautiful way. Oh yeah, that's a beautiful image. Very fitting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I do, feel, and maybe you've sensed this, where people feel almost afraid because they think that they're always going to be accused of, and again, this is the judgment thing, mm-hmm. but there's always going to be this perception they did that they didn't do something original mm. um, because there's all these influences that they're bringing to the table from where, where they've learned from and in the experiences that they've had and, and so on. Yeah. Um, but a little bit of accepting, like that's how it is. I mean, that's you know, almost a, as if originality is, there's no such thing. The originality is, is kind of how you've pieced together your, education and experiences into your curation Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a double-edged sword that word originality Mm -hmm. um i think it's best to assume that's that's something similar to what you're doing has always been done or has been has been done by someone um and the original part of it is just making it your own and and really owning it um in every single aspect you know, I've had people uh, email me or message me and ask me like, hey, is it, okay, is, it if, it is, is it okay if I use this exercise in my program or this program that I'm going to sell? And it's an exercise that I've, you know, posted about or I did a course on or something. Um, and to me, like, yes, of course, <laughs> I don't own it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that somebody before me has done it. The only thing I ask of them if they if they are going to borrow it is to make it their own. You know, I, I don't I don't worry if it's going to be better or worse. I only worry if it's not contributing something unique. Um, if, if they're not contributing something unique by bringing themselves into as many aspects of their work as possible. You're almost asking for it like this is like the like the improv theater technique of like yes and yeah yeah exactly. right so so yes use this and add mm. to it yeah because mm-hmm. I mean you <laughs> the exercise or the 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 flow or the program or the article doesn't represent you you represent the thing. You know, and it's it's okay for you to take that place, um, and by saying you know loudly and proudly, this is my take on it. Uh, it might be very similar to somebody else's, but it is mine. And by by doing that, but but just taking that responsibility, you're gonna you're going to be contributing with something terribly unique. Right, and that's how. We all, we all, we all learn more through that experience. Yeah. Right. That's like the, the collective mind. Right. Yeah. Right. We have this conversation. You tell me about like, you know, getting the hips as close to the ground and then as, as far away from the ground as possible. That's some sort of inspiration that I take and, and put it into something and, and it becomes facilitated in this other way. And it comes, 
we have a conversation or it comes back around like, Oh, I, I thought your idea was beautiful. And I did this. And then I added this thing to it. Like, Oh my gosh. Well, like clearly yes. you, clearly you were into pro wrestling as a kid. I love that too. I'm going to like, <laughs> I'm putting that in there. <laughs> your cube was six one nine, sir. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that's why, that's why we collaborate. It is to, create something that is bigger than ourselves that's why we share it's to it's to make something that is bigger than what one single individual could create you know and i think especially nowadays it is so important because i think a lot of people fear or think that they're competing with a lot of people especially mm. online they're competing for validation uh, somebody's acknowledge uh, somebody's praise something like that um but no like you don't have to compete you you can collaborate you can be creative you can take part of a community um mm -hmm. it's okay <laughs> right i mean it, 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 it everything if everybody looks and sounds and feels the same there's not a lot of new information being passed around mm -hmm. and everything grows it might take a slower amount of time yeah but it grows in a very interesting way in a very dynamic and complex way when there's a lot of different ideas being fed and things being added to things that have existed before mm -hmm. as opposed to just being like well here are the steps and this is the exact ladder yeah 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 that's what i like about the movement space now i don't know like what your what your point of view is or how you perceive it but i i feel as if the movement culture is becoming a bit more quiet you know like there's there's something brewing there mm -hmm. uh, underneath the surface uh, there is no there there's less talk of the ultimate philosophy or the ultimate path or the ultimate this or that or the ultimate strength standards or anything like that and it, this is what I hope. <laughs> uh, this is the bias that I would love to confirm, but I have a feeling that people are, are taking more inspiration from one another. And it's just a bit more quiet. And hopefully in due time, people are gonna be a bit more outspoken about how they're collaborating and where they're drawing inspiration and, and what they're creating. I agree. I think that like, there have been some like growing pains. Yeah. And there is something there is, I, I, I think I said it to someone recently. I was like, there's something different going on. And maybe it's just for me having like had all these, having all these conversations on, um, on the podcast and just realizing how rich and deep this movement space is. But it's interesting to hear you say that because I've, I've suspected that, but thought I was just seeing it through the lens of having recorded this podcast. Mm. Um, but I agree. I think that there's some, some next rung is being reached for in the growing pain ladder. Yeah. And, and I, I see it as well. And there's a lot of, you know, I I've spoken to people who are participating in these like collectives with a lot of different minds kind of coming together and sharing ideas Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know, maybe it was just off my radar, but it was not something I, I was aware of a couple of years ago or a few years ago in that same way. 
Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it could just be that there are less people talking about ultimate truths nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I hope that's what's going to happen. I, th- I think, I think it's uh, about time that we focus more on the community aspect of movement and not the culture part of it. Yeah, it's still so young, you know. I mean, people talk about even how young Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm like, movement is not even close to that thing. Yeah, and and that is still kind of like figuring out how its roots need to lie in the soil. Yeah, yeah. Right. Very true. Do you do any grappling? Uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, I did train grappling pretty intensively for a couple of years. Um, got some injuries, so I had to take a step back from it. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'll get to start again soon. Mm-hmm. What what were your, what were your observations entering into like the grappling space, coming from like your your background in martial arts and maybe also specifically the dance? Um, I loved it. I. I think the first lesson is that there is no better icebreaker than, uh, you know, giving a person a high five and a fist bump and then proceeding to try to choke one another out. It's a great icebreaker and you really get to know a person by, mm-hmm. <laughs> by rolling with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what I really like about it is the honest feedback, you know, like it's it's one of those few activities where you can really go all out against uh, another person without having to harm them or being harmed yourself and really getting to test your mettle against them. Uh, so in that sense, it is incredibly honest, um, which which I like. I, I don't like the idea of people especially like in the fitness world, this is one of my, my pet peeves is when people talk about, you know, them having to do this or having to uh, do, do this one-arm chin-up or this regular pull-up or this um, sled push because they're preparing themselves for the zombie apocalypse or something like that. Um, <laughs> you know, like they, 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 they're trying to prove their worth by doing something totally unrelated <laughs> right. to the story they're telling. But in grappling, like you, you actually get to see whether or not you're capable in, as it relates to inca- incapacitating another human being, um, mm. which is pretty cool. I just like that it's really honest that way. Um, and I also like all the very, like the, the, the amount of information you get. It's just information on information on information. The way your body moves, the way another person person's body moves, the ground and how your body feels against it, uh, facial expressions, reading intentions. Yeah. This, this is what I, this is what I this is what I was kind of referring to earlier in the conversation. I was talking about martial arts, and I my background is in jujitsu, mm-hmm. and and it being this really rich sensory experience. And that's what you were describing where it was just like, wow, like, you know, you're using your whole body as like antennas everywhere to like feel what's happening. And you're like sensing their breath 
and you're like, you, you know, you're looking like at their eyes and you're like, you're feeling where pressure's coming from and, and you're hearing things. I don't know. It's just like everything really gets turned on in a way that like, it, it, in some ways it, it, it feels novel when mm -hmm. you first start. You're like, wow, I, you know, even taking it being fighting out of the equation, just like the way the senses have to, everything is like, oh my gosh, everything has to be happening right here. I'm, I'm even smelling this person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have no choice but to be receptive. That's what mm -hmm. I really like about it. Especially mm -hmm. if we compare it to like traditional exercises where you don't really have to be, you, you don't really have to be all that receptive. It's more about you looking for, is this the right thing to do? Is this how it's supposed to feel? Mm -hmm. Does this look the way I imagine it looks? If so, is the way it look looks correct in terms of the technique that has been presented to me by others? Mm -hmm. You know, like you're then you're constantly predicting um, truth. Whereas when you're grappling or when you're dancing or doing something like that, you are in the moment and you, you just have to, your, your entire body is on, it's receptive. Like you said, like your entire self is a set of antennas. Mm -hmm. And it's been, again, like when you start doing it, all of that, like right or wrong, perfect form, all the thing goes out the window and all you're trying to do is, is not drown. Mm-hmm like yeah. all the identity just goes away. It's as if you're falling. Mm -hmm. You're like, yeah. I just need, I just need to stay above water. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a very like unique and beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is like there, you, you don't have that many excuses, which, which I think is a really nice thing. You know, you can't say, Oh, somebody taught me the wrong technique. Like, I don't care. I mean, <laughs> what is, what, what does that matter? Like, it's about whether or not you were able to survive and whether or not you were able to, to, to do it. And I'm not saying that you have to win. You don't have to be able to choke somebody out. It's not necessary. You don't have to uh, n know how to put pressure on another person or, uh, I don't know, do any type of weird breathing technique as you're rolling. It's just whether or not you want to experience for yourself what you're capable of in that specific context. And what's so beautiful about that context is that it's very honest. And, and deeply humbling. Yes. Which is also probably a really valuable quality to experience for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so scary about, about fitness and the gym. Mm -hmm. You can basically make up any type of prediction. As long as it sounds rational, people are going to do it, uh, which is what a lot of people are doing when they create different training systems. They just come up with something that sounds like it makes sense. And then you promise them a lofty or a, a very cool reward at the end. And if they're not able to get that, get that reward, you tell them that the way they trained your system wasn't the right way. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I feel like a lot of these people who come up with these systems deserve to go go out grappling or hang out in the woods for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have to have that feeling of like tapping out. It's a very, it's, a, I don't know, especially in the first like six months of going through that, that tap out feeling is a very, like, it's a very rich, special moment. 
to have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important to learn. And <laughs> I mean, hopefully if you don't get caught up in the machismo of the, of the culture and you learn how to tap out in other life situations, it's an incredibly valuable skill. Well, it makes me think, so I was training in New York City and one of the top teachers at my school, I had him on the podcast, Paul Schreiner. And we talked a lot about some of these ideas. He talked about like what the art of jujitsu is and it being the moments in between the techniques, which I thought was really poignant and beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, but he said that he, he wished to see people be more playful. And this is somebody who like, I've felt him and, you know, I've never felt pressure like that in my life, you know, mm -hmm. like just the pressure taking my breath away. Yeah. And so my point is that he's just, I mean, he's truly dominant in that, mm -hmm. in that game, but to hear him talk about his wish for people to be more playful, mm -hmm. I thought was really fascinating. And, you know, of course people sometimes hear playful and think that it means joyful. And he meant playful in the sense like, be willing to take risks, be willing to surprise yourself, be willing to try new things and not just play your game. Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really wonderful. This idea of like, you know, just don't be addicted to competence, you know, approach the game with a willingness to lose so that you might learn some things. Yeah. And, and for me, I realized I was like, well, this deeply transcends jujitsu. Uh, obviously enters movement, but could like enter a lot of other places. But I, you know, in the movement space, you know, that, that offer despite moments of deep seriousness to be like, oh, well, enter it with a willingness to be surprised. What does that start to look like? Mm -hmm. As opposed to like the will, the, the entering it with like, I need to dominate this thing. Yeah. Um, like you said, don't be addicted to competence. I think that's so important. A lot of people assume that you need to be competent to be confident. <laughs> but um, true confidence is will, being okay with not being competent and then just going at it uh, with, your, with your entire self. And that's when, now we come back to creativity, that's when a lot of these magical mistakes happen. And I, I don't think it's even fair to call them mistakes. They just happen. Uh, because you're willing to take those risks and all of a sudden you come up with something that is perhaps, maybe, <laughs> original. Or perhaps it is meaningful to you. M maybe it'll become um, something massively influential in another person's life or in that particular moment just by being okay with not being competent. Yeah. I had a vaudeville teacher who had these, like, he always had these quips, the things that people always remembered him saying. And one of the things was something like accidents are beautiful gifts. Mm -hmm. Like the things that you don't expect to happen. That's, that's the real magic. The thing that you, if you stepped on your, and, and, and you were walking and you went left, right, left, right, and nothing happened because that's how you expect to walk. That's fine. But like the moment something happens, you were unprepared for He's like, that's when the magic really begins. Yes, uh, so true. I mean, for those who've been on stage and worked on the production for a longer period of time, they know that the thing that makes the piece alive from the, from the audience point of view is the mistakes that are being made from the performance, performer's point of view. You know, like when you do 
300, 400 shows of the same show, the thing that really keeps that show alive are all the mess ups, all the, all the fuck ups and all the mistakes that are being made on stage and that the performers have to deal with. That makes them alive and that makes the performance alive. So yeah, I mean, speaking of performance, you know, if you've read, uh, uh, what's her name, Uta Hagen, uh, she's an acting coach and she said uh, in one of her books, like, if you put the best actor in the world on stage with a cat, everyone's going to look at the cat. And why is that? Because you never know what the cat's going to do. You can't predict. Even the cat doesn't know what it's going to do. And believe me, I know I have two cats. They just <laughs> surprise themselves all the time by being severely confident, but not that confident. It almost makes me think that like, that's what people find so like mesmerizing and magical about a, a person like um like a Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah. there's a documentary about Bill Murray and like people who have these wild stories about Bill Murray kind of popping in and out of their lives and showing up here and doing this. Mm -hmm. But as you were kind of talking about that, it's like he kind of captures a little bit of that like like the cat. Yeah. Like I don't he think he I don't I don't think he knows what he's gonna do. <laughs> and and I think that that's that thing that people feel like, oh, like that's that's that magic like they that they can't put words to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. It's so cool. I mean, when I, when I've done workshops or if I've taught, the people who I envy. The, like pe people whose capabilities I env envy, they're never the ones that are more competent at me or at something, because there's always going to be people who are more competent at you at something, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the people who are just, they're cats. You never know what they're going to do. And they, they freaking love every second of what they're doing, even if they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> one workshop where this guy just, um, who like, he was not the epitome of grace or coordination or anything like that. He was a, don't get me wrong. He was a, he was a good mover. Um, but, <laughs> but he just went balls to the wall with everything. And then all of a sudden he would stop and he would be like, Hey John, I'm going to head out real quick for, to get a beer. Do you want one? Like in the middle of a class. And I'm like, no, thanks. I'm, I'm good. You're, 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 you're going out to, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> I respect you. <laughs> and he said, oh, I, I, I don't mean any disrespect. I just really want a beer right now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I will love you all the more for it. Right. That's the Bill Murray. Yeah, that's the Bill Murray moment. Yeah. So cool. And I really, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever, ever be, be able to become a Bill Murray, but I'm so grateful of having those people in my life because they just remind you of what's possible when once you don't like again, like you said, become addicted to competence or the idea mm -hmm. of competence. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. The same teacher I had used to always say, we need to keep the child alive inside of us. That was like, that was, that was the line that was probably taped on like the door of his office. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But that's that thing. That's like the like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do this now. Yeah. 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 Man, I respect those people. (laughs) Yeah. So what, what does, what does your research look like now? Like, what do you, what does your practice look like? I mean, are there teachers you're, you're turning to right now that you think are doing interesting things or that you're working with or studying with, or have, have you taken it in other directions? I'm, I'm curious what, what that looks like for you. Hmm. So right now, most of the work that I do is related to the work that I do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's about growing the communities that I'm, that I'm trying to nurture. Um, it's about growing the businesses. And what really inspires me right now is getting in touch with teachers who I think have something totally unique to contribute with and that aren't necessarily currently contributing that way. Um, so just really doing a lot of research, trying to have lots of conversations with lots of coaches if something happens to come out of it then that's great if not that's also cool um and then seeing whether or not me and one of my colleagues jeremy fine uh who is an amazing coach uh, seeing if whether or not we can encourage these coaches to collaborate with one another so that they come up with something that they could not have come up with by themselves um but like my own training right now is pretty, pretty simple. I, I try to, uh, I work out every day. It's mostly like strength and conditioning type of stuff. I have every other day, I do a little movement session, research session in the morning where I give myself a couple of prompts. Like I write down maybe one or two words and then I put on a couple of songs or a timer and then I just get to work and see what happens. Um, And other than that, I just try to work out with other people, like my friends. Like right now, working out is the most social thing that I do, which means that it's also one of the most important things if I allow it to be social. So, but yeah, as as now, now as spring is arriving in Norway, I, I guess I'll be spending a lot more time outdoors in the woods, whether it be climbing or hiking or just doing bushcraft kind of things. That's what really attracts me right now. Have you, have you done a lot of bushcraft? Um, like nothing, nothing that I've been taught, like just mm-hmm. trying to learn it by doing by myself and by necessity. That's what's so cool about the woods. It is the woods is the wilderness equivalent of grappling, you know, either you make it or you don't either you make a comfortable shelter or you don't either mm-hmm. you get food or you don't. So it's most, mostly just by being exposed to it and by spending time out there. So have you, have you built a shelter? Have you, have you done some hunting and things? Not hunting yet. That is uh, something that I hope to do fairly soon. Building shelters, yes. But uh, yeah, not hunting, not yet. Very fascinated by all these things. I really want some want to do some some bushcraft education i got really into this tv show called alone i don't know if you've seen it 
Not sure. A couple of the people who are on it say it's like the Super Bowl of bushcraft. And they, <laughs> they basically send, they send 10 people to the Arctic and just say survive. And they're by themselves. And it's, it's pretty epic. Um, I mean, I watched a guy take down a bull moose with just a knife. Um, And he had to set up his own GoPro to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) which is also equally impressive, but I don't know, there was something about it, like watching the structures and also just like you watch people out there for 20, 30, 50 days and just kind of like the way it starts to become when they're, when they are alone, but also just I don't know. You become they're 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 part of it. They're not outsiders anymore. And watching that moment happen is very fascinating. Mm, when they're yeah. kind of a part of the the structure and the cycle, as opposed to just being a a visitor there who's being yeah. intrusive. Yeah, I find the whole thing very very fascinating, and I'm I'm interested in hunting as well. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't uh, I haven't done it yet. Um... But I think it's. Uh, I think it will be a pretty. I'm not sure if the what the hunting part is going to do, but the slaughtering part is probably going to be a pretty life changing mm-hmm. uh, moment. Like I've slaughtered before, but then it's been in more. It's um, more civil under more civil circumstances. What What was it? Uh, just, like in in China, um, when I've been there, you know, just. Helping out, slaughtering the animals that we're we're gonna eat. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we had a pet pet rooster, and uh, he ended up on the dinner table. <laughs> wow! <laughs> like situations like that. <laughs> that is a strange moment when you're referring to it as a pet, and then you say you you yeah. had to eat you had to eat the pet. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, highly traumatizing for me and all my siblings <laughs> <laughs> but also necessary mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, so what what do you imagine you'll be hunting in norway what are what are some of like the game that you would be be out there for um probably like primarily like uh oh, i don't know the english word for it grouse okay grouse? Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt that I'll be hunting moose and reindeers and things like that. Um, yeah, primarily a poultry, I think. And do you want to use a bow or a gun? Um, I'm not sure. I ha- I don't know enough about it, I, and I don't know the Im- like. I would like to say bow because that would make me feel more of a badass and I mean make me feel like I'm a bit closer to Pocahontas in some sort of weird way like I am both badass but I can also hear the colors of the wind <laughs> uh, but like again I don't I don't know like is it more humane as an example is it more like is it going to ease the suffering of the animal or is it just going to increase my bolster my ego uh, to me the animal is the animals, animals' welfare is more important, and again, I don't know enough yet uh, mm-hmm. to say <laughs> one or the other, or if I'm going to do it at all. I mean, I don't know how I'll how I'll handle being in that kind of situation. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I've never done it, but I I from what I observe and what I've looked at, I mean, it is 
as you said, it, that is like a life changing moment. Mm. The first, yeah. the first time I'm interested in the bow. Mm-hmm. I know it takes a little bit more to like, you have to be closer. You have to really practice because you don't want the animal to suffer. So you have to like hit it in the right, in the right place. Mm. Um, the gun can be very loud. It like disrupts all the animals mm-hmm. in the area and like the whole ecosystem. Um, and you can do it from further away. I don't know. It just asks a little bit more of like, of, of me, if I were going to mm. do it. And I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I appreciate that, but I do realize the risks are much higher if you don't hit it in the right spot. Yeah. I mean, I guess the same thing could be said for a rifle as well, or yeah, any other kind of firearm. But, but, um, but yeah, like, what 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 attracts me to the idea is again this idea of it's it's such an honest thing to do, um, and if you're able to go about doing it without being a dick about it, and I guess this applies to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. Then hopefully it'll make you a more uh, humble person, knowing your place in the ecosystem, what you can and what you cannot do, and what sort of harm you can inflict, um, and how you can nurture yourself. You know, how you can nurture others. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Um, John, this was so wonderful i feel like uh if if we weren't in the in the middle of a pandemic still i'd be totally prepared to hop on a flight and head out to norway yeah man (laughs) you're you're welcome to come at any time um we we will we will grapple with grouse (laughs) Uh, i've I've always wanted to arm bar poultry so (laughs) (laughs) and then i'll come up with what, what our what we'll be imagining as we do it (laughs) <laughs> our imagination quality is there any chance that you'll be traveling through europe or anything doing some teaching or, or is it still really up in the air with how it's, things are over it's there? still up in the air like right now i i uh i'm not gonna take anything for granted you know i i don't know what's gonna happen so um until we know more then i guess i'll primarily be online okay and then trying as much as i can to get totally offline at times as well (laughs) fair so if people want to connect with you online what's the best way to do it um instagram at yuanjohn dot not dot com but at yuanjohn or my website yuanjohn.com um and yeah for people like feel free to send me a message um if it's just to say hi uh that's totally cool (laughs) um and yeah that i guess that's where you can find me and if people are interested in getting involved or or being a student in the movement guild is Mm -hmm. is that the best route as well yeah yeah just head to the same website um we're we're in the process of creating a website for the movement guild and all of that but Mm -hmm. we're not totally ready yet but okay. uh, until then, all the information is on my website. It's so interesting. I've known of Jeremy Fine for a long time, mm. but we've never met. And I think I 
even had like a mutual friend. Um, I don't know. It makes me think that I should reach out to him at some point. Oh, here. You, you definitely should. Jeremy is, uh, is a role model in so many ways in, in regards to how to be a responsible and kind teacher. Um, yeah, like he, he is, um, he's probably been, uh, one of the biggest influences on me and my professional life in the last year and I couldn't be happier to work with him. So yeah, reach out. He's a great dude. Wow. I hope that, uh, someday there are people who say that about me. Cause that is, uh, that is very, very kind. Um, <laughs> yeah, those are some generous words. So yeah. Um, I, I am going to reach out to him. Yeah. Be, be sure to do that. And then and yeah, I I I uh, uh, I hope that other like if there are other coaches or even if you're not a coach listening to this, I just hope you reach out to people. Um, people are surprisingly okay with just talking, and if something comes out of it, that's cool. If if not, that's also cool. Uh, like when you invited me to join this podcast again, it's it's. I don't think of this as a presentation of me or an interview of me it's more like us just getting to hang out and talk and get to know each other and it's it's having it's it's having an impact on me that's what i think is cool about this it's 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 not you know it's not about having to expose yourself it's just about allowing another person to make an impact on your life it's just pretty cool i couldn't agree more and i and i and i also agree that i I hope for people to, to reach out for conversations with not just you and I, but more people as well, mm -hmm. because they are so influential. I feel like more so now than ever, I, I end up going on walks with people and meeting up for coffees and having like Zoom or FaceTime calls and tons of people, I'm, you know, for the first time, different parts of the world. And, and I can't explain all the ways but it is deeply influential in, in both directions. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I think when I think of the changes I'd like to see in the world, like more of that is, is, is valuable. Mm, yeah. It's so easy for us to forget how much of an impact all of us can make. You know, we think, we think we need to gain a certain type of following or run a certain type of business or be, be widely renowned or successful in some sort of way. But everyone everyone makes a difference everyone has an impact they can make uh yeah <laughs> hey man well i am definitely influenced by by this conversation and, and i think um i feel like i end up saying it quite often and it ends up happening but you know we should chat again doesn't have to be recorded <laughs> we can just hop on and uh and 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 chat we'll chat about um you know our bushcraft endeavors or or whatever yeah yeah and yeah let me know if you do do any more of those town hall type of things that sounds like a lot of fun yeah i i, I maybe maybe i will try to bring it back i had this vision of maybe doing it with like i don't know picking like a few people who i've had on the podcast like two or three and doing it almost like a round table discussion with like a live audience over yeah. zoom, which could be really fun. Yeah. Kind of pick some cool. people who like, I don't know, kind of curate it with people who I think 
would have interesting conversation together, but they don't come from the exact same space. Mm -hmm. Would be kind of cool to like facilitate something like that. And yeah, I will keep you updated because I think that that could be really fun. Yeah. Oh, you should definitely do that. (laughs) Yeah. I will keep you updated. Maybe, maybe I'll make that happen in the next like month or so. Yes, please. All right. uh, I would love to either just observe or to join. <laughs> Killer man. Well, this was so good. Um, I hopefully soon in person. Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even saying hello. Ready. <laughs> you, you'll know it's me because I'm going to be the person who sneaks up behind you and just immediately tries to choke you. That's going to be my move. <laughs> I can smell you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, hey, no good to see you. No, like, oh, it's nice that we're finally doing this in person. You're just going to feel an arm around your neck and you're going to be like, oh, Kyle is here. <laughs> I, I I welcome the opportunity. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, now now I'm, I'm happy that you said that it's welcome because that's exactly what's happening if I have the opportunity. <laughs> I'll never sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay awake at night. You don't even know. I might be in Norway now. <laughs> It'd be cool if just all of a sudden my side of the conversation just dropped out. <laughs> That's how we should have ended it. It should have just you should have just like <gasps> made the noise and then we just cut off. You should end every single podcast with just the sound of somebody tapping out. <laughs> just fading out a tap. Yeah. Either either the fade out of the tap or someone going tap, 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 tap. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Have a great night, and then uh, we will talk soon. Yeah, yeah, you too, man. Thanks for this. Thanks. Bye.